0: Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I woke up this morning to take some time to pray and study my notes one more time and print them up. And sometimes those of you that have spoken and and do this type of thing, a burden or a heaviness can come across you and can, can come over you and you don't know why. Except that you know that God's with you and He's working with you. And so as He moved into the sanctuary in a mighty way this morning, began speaking to me. And I feel anointing me in this message, and I hope that's true. If you'll raise, stand up with me this morning. For the reading of the word, turn with me to first John chapter 2, starting at verse 12. I want to talk about Jericho today. For those of you that signed this, saw the sign outside, I'm going to share the story with you a little bit, and I think I might teach a little bit today. Okay, so I'm going to be teaching. Everybody, say, Brother Cordell's going to teach today. So I'm going to do a little teaching, and I hope that God blesses you with the word He's given me. First John chapter two, starting at verse twelve, says, "I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake." And ye have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Little children, it is the last time. It is the end times. Time is short. There's not much left. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. You can be seated this morning. So how does that relate to Jericho? What is Jericho about? Well, Let me go into that teaching part that I was talking to you about earlier. If you study Jericho, you can't really study Jericho and understand Jericho and what that was all about. Now, we grew up in Sunday school class and we used to sing the song, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. You remember that? You remember that song? And the walls came tumbling down. That was awesome. We know the story. Everybody in here knows the story of Joshua. It's probably one of the best known stories there is, except for Noah. But in order to study Jericho, you need to understand how it all started. And of course, that takes us back to Egypt in the bondage in Egypt before the Exodus. And we understand as, as Christians, as those that study and know God's word, that Egypt, anywhere Egypt is mentioned in the Bible, it represents sin. And so when the Exodus of the Israelites happened and God led Moses to take the Israelites out of Egypt, that was a representation of our breaking of the bondage of sin, And it can be permanent. And as he took us to the Red Sea, and he took the Israelites there, and God miraculously parted the Red Sea, we understand that that action is a representation of our baptism. Our baptism into Christ. We understand all that. Now, a lot of people think that the Israelites wandered immediately for 40 years because of all their bickering and complaining, and that's not necessarily true, at least not immediately. Now if you study and you, you look through Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua, you understand that it was a very short period of time before the spies that were sent out from Joshua saw the land of Canaan, the promised land, and came back and told their stories. A very short period of time. They came to, very close to the promised land, do you realize, within little less than a year and a half. Their time could have been that short to enter the promised land. But see, they had to go to Sinai, and they had to have Moses' experience on Sinai, and they were at Sinai for, I believe, over a year, and of course, we know what happened. The Israelites that were in that first generation constantly complaining, we don't have flesh to eat, we don't have this. Moses goes up into Sinai to meet with God, and what do the Israelites do? They fall into sin, and they turn to the things that are John, first John was talking about, the sins and the lusts of the flesh and the pride of life, and they raised themselves up a, a golden calf and so on. You know the story. That was just just less than a couple of years that they were out there. The rest of the story, they move from Sinai, they they start to approach Canaan land, and the twelve spies are sent out, and ten of them come back and tell stories of giants and And fear, and they spread fear amongst the Israelites. And only Joshua and Caleb are the only two that really saw what was happening and understood that this truly was the promised land. And so because of that disbelief that had spread throughout the nation, they were then forced to wander in circles for 40 years because of that disbelief. Because of Moses' failure, he was not allowed to enter the promised land. And an entire first generation of Israelites are gone before Joshua is allowed to cross the River Jordan. Now, I want to dispel another another common misnomer. The promised land is not heaven. The promised land is not heaven. You know why I know that? Because all the Zites are living there. The Hebezites and the Jezites and the Amalekites and the Amorites and... Those people were sin. Sin does not live in the the promised land we think of. But a lot of people mistake that and they say, I'm going to the promised land. There are songs, I'm going to the promised land. I want to tell you guys, we need to understand and we need to acknowledge and praise God. We live in the promised land right now. You're in the promised land because you crossed the River Jordan. You were able to take a part of that salvation message that we just sang about, that Jesus' sacrifice gave us. We live in the promised land. The promised land was promised to be the land flowing with milk and honey. Well, why is that? Because milk is the sustenance that we need. Second, first Peter, or second Peter says, desire the sincere milk of the word. What is honey? It's the, the, the most, it's an, it's an unspoilable food. The land of milk and honey, it flows and it's right here. This is, the, this is the food, the milk and honey that doesn't spoil. And it has the sustenance that we need, the sincere milk of the word. We live in the promised land right now. We have everything we need. We have grace. We have the Holy Ghost and we have power. We don't need to wander. We can be there now. And as you know, as the story goes, Joshua was directed by God as the new leader of the nation of Israel God parted the Jordan River once again. And again, that representation of baptism, that representation of that right that we have as we move across the Jordan into the Promised Land, into our Christian life, our new life, when we put on Christ. And Joshua was instructed to put a, to, to put a pile of stones there to represent and to be a monument, even to this day, the Bible says, of what God did for them to bring them from the wilderness into the Promised Land. But see, it's not heaven. We don't get baptized in, zoop, right up out of the water into heaven. We get baptized into the promised land. And so there we were, there they were. And their first challenge as they're moving towards the goal is a great big city called Jericho. Now, there are a lot of people that really struggle with the fact that God instructed the nation of Israel to go in and completely destroy. Jericho and kill everything, every living thing in there. Well, why did he do that? Why would men and women and children and all that, all that stuff, why would he do that? Why would? What is his point? And I want you to understand today that just as Egypt represented sin, as the Exodus was beginning, Jericho represents the same thing. See, the people of Jericho are, are Canaanites. Canaan was a son of Ham, who was a son of Noah. But they were... Failing. They had turned from God. They knew about God. They had that experience. They knew of their grand- grandfather's great relationship with God, but they chose to turn away to their wicked ways. And if you read through Joshua and you get some description of the things that they do, the debauchery and the sin and, and the horrific things that they did in Jericho. We live in an environment today, we are in the promised land, but every single day we walk outside of our doors, we're faced with our Jerichos. Right in front of us, we see it everywhere we go. We live in society. That's what Jericho is. We have to live in this society, but that's not the moral of the story or the point of the story because we know that immediately God told Joshua, "I behold, I give into your hands the city of Jericho." Immediately, before anything was done, He promised it to him. Well, Joshua knew enough. Joshua was full of faith, and he 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 loved God and he spoke with God. And Joshua knew what that meant was well, it's a done deal. It's done. How many in here know that because of who you are and what you have living within you, it's a done deal? Whatever you face out there, whatever you come into, whatever challenge that you face, it's a done deal. You should have that faith of Joshua, no matter what you're facing, because you serve an almighty God. I don't care how tall the walls are, of the problem that you face, or how nasty the problem is behind the wall, or how awful the sin is. The victory was already given to you. It's already said. It's yours. And so Joshua had no issue with that. And he knew God was going to take care of it. Jericho is known as the moon city. It's also, in another another translation, it was known as the city of fragrance, surrounded by palm trees. It It was very a very uh, beautiful city, a very modern city. You know, they weren't all cave people back then. You know, these, you know, this is about 4,000, 4,500 B.C. They weren't cave dwellers. They weren't Neanderthals. This was a sophisticated city. It was a community of people, and they built this magnificent fortress. For, I, I've, I've, saw, I've seen several different estimates of how high the walls were, a double-thick wall. If you broke down or climbed over one wall, you fell into a pit, and you were staring at another wall twice as high. Anybody here ever go through a problem and think you beat it and turn around and one stand standing there twice as tall as the next one? Oh man, do we have our Jerichos, don't we? But I liken that it called, it referred to Jericho as a moon city. See, I've read you that scripture, I read you that scripture in 1 John about the Antichrist, everything's Antichrist. If it's against God, it's Antichrist. And so you take a look at Jericho and just like Egypt, Jericho is a direct and opposite reflection of what our goal is, what, what, what heaven is supposed to be. Just as the moon doesn't really cast its own light, but it's a reflection of the sun. You follow me? And we see that everywhere. This nation is full of people who call themselves Christians or have a Christian attitude or, or these churches and these false prophets. And, God, and it says in the word, many will come that are anti-Christ, that will teach you these false teachings. And here's this moon city reflecting the light of the sun but not casting its own and we see it every day people that talk christian and they play K love in their house and they, and they do these things but they're deceived and they live their lives as they, as they want to and we deal with that and we encounter that and we have to witness to those folks and interact with them and sometimes that's a battle and a frustration and a problem Jericho was in a very, very low place on earth. As a matter of fact, it's, it's uh, aside from the de- Dead Sea, it's probably the second lowest elevation on planet earth, some thousand feet below sea level, which reminds me of, of how low this place had to be and how low a person has to be personally and spiritually to do the things and get into the things that Paul talks about in Galatians and the things that are happening in Jericho, the sin that's going on there. Isn't it fitting that it's a low place on planet earth? And so the Israelites are standing before this. Now, God sent them to a place, and you're going to love this. This is what God revealed to me. God sent them to a place before Jericho, a place of separation. See, God didn't want the Israelites to have anything to do with anything that happened in Jericho. And so when he instructed them to destroy the city, he said, take it all down. Don't take any spoils, nothing. Because at that point is when God enacted the circumcision, the entire nation was circumcised, they were sanctified, and they were separated from that sin and the rest of that world that they're living in. Now, mind you, they're still in the promised land. But God didn't want anything to do with it. You want to know the answer to why God wanted all the women, children, and men, and animals, and everything killed? Is because they were unredeemable. It was total and pure and complete sin. And he doesn't want you or me or anyone to have anything to do with those types of activities, ever. We shouldn't look at it. We shouldn't talk about it. We shouldn't taste it, try it, feel it, get involved in it at all because we're sanctified. We're separated from that. So he sent them to a place called Gilgal, a very famous place, mentioned in the Bible 150 times. You know what Gilgal means? A rolling away. And God says in the book of Joshua, I have rolled away your past. In other words, what he was telling him, I've taken away all of your effect of Egypt. I've separated you out. I've rolled away all of that stuff. It says it right in scripture. You can read it in Joshua. And I couldn't help from the moment I read that, God said, just like I rolled the stone away from Jesus' tomb and your, your salvation was complete. rolled it away and got it out because there's nothing in our way now. We can't claim this iniquity. We can't claim these things bringing us down. God separated us. us, He took it away from us. We have no more attachment to that. He took the barrier out of the way. They crossed over the River Jordan. You know who was baptized in the River Jordan? Jesus was. That's right and a whole lot of other people, very significantly representing that part of our salvation. So they're sitting there, and they're in Gilgal, and they've got the nations together. Now the spies, when they went in, you know the story, is they ran into one decent Jerichoite, and her name was Rahab. And you know what? Rahab was a harlot. She was a prostitute. Should we be so separated so mighty and so holy that we can't reach out and speak to a harlot or someone else who's fallen into some kind of sin? No. Because that wonderful young lady who had simply just fallen into the culture of the world that she lived in took those spies into her house and not only did she hide them and keep them safe, but she lied to protect them when they came looking for them. We know those men of Israel are here. Where are they? She lied and said, I don't know. They went out. They went out of the city. And she protected them. And do you know that German archaeologists that were working on a project in excavation of Jericho, when they studied how the walls fell down, do you know that they discovered that there was a portion of, one small portion of all the walls of Jericho that stayed remaining? One small portion of the wall you know that Rahab lived in the wall there was actually homes and dwellings in the wall see God promised because of what Rahab did that he would save her and her family and when the walls came down he saved Rahab what a witness what a testimony to tell when you go out and you reach out to somebody and someone's there and I don't know what I'm going to do and I don't know what God's got for me and I don't know if I want to do this and say hey listen If you give it to God, God's going to protect you. I don't care what's coming down on top of you. I don't care what your life looks like now, harlot or drug addict or alcoholic or whatever you think is coming down on you that's going to take your family out or whatever you think is going to happen. But if you give it to God right now, God will protect you. And you can stand firm on that because he took a harlot and her family and protected that one small piece of the wall. The Bible says that the walls came tumbling down, and in archaeological study, they showed that these massive 45-foot structures literally fell straight down against physics. God does it his way. He didn't, have to, he didn't worry about that. So he has the nations together. the instructions come to Joshua that they're to encircle the city now he says I want you to do it one time for six days now understand that he told him to do it in silence don't say anything didn't tell him to pray didn't tell him to fast play music worship nothing he said do it in silence six days now, if you if you study enough, you know that six, biblically, is a number of humanity. It's man's number. And I believe, this is personal opinion now, this is from the book of Cordel, verse 2. I believe that God told them to shut up and stand still and see the, the, the salvation of the Lord as they began to circle the city, because I think what would have happened eventually is you would have had, hey, Chuck, why are we doing this? Bob, Why? how long does this have to go on? What, what? Hey, when's lunch? Right? Pretty soon one will start talking. Anybody preaching this? I'm not not mimicking Brother Kylie. I just want to, one will start talking. Somebody's feet will hurt. Humanity would step into that situation. We are who we are, folks. We're wrapped in flesh and we're bound in, in all of this. And and are complaining, somebody would probably start cracking jokes. Cliff and I would be over there telling old jokes from way back. <laughs> Being goofy. Probably not good. He wanted them in complete silence. He wanted their obedience, and they did it. Now, you would have to think that they probably stayed far enough away from the city walls because I would have to imagine at the time the bowmen and the, and the guys with the lances and all that stuff would be throwing stuff at them and shooting arrows. And the Bible says that they weren't really all that afraid even though they knew that the nations of Israel had defeated the kings in the, outside the promised land. Some of those Zeitz guys I talked to you about before. They knew this. They heard the stories. As a matter of fact, Rahab even tells them, we've heard the stories of your exodus from Egypt. The word had gotten around. They knew what the deal was. And they knew that the nation of Israel was powerful. But yet they felt secure in their sin in their Jericho walls. They felt secure in what they were. They, the nation of Israel looked goofy. They didn't have weapons. They didn't have battering rams and, and, uh, and catapults and all that stuff. They had a bunch of people and some instruments. And so they began to walk the city, and they'd come back to the camp, and they'd praise and they'd worship. They'd come back to Gilgal. And then finally, the last instruction was for them to circle the city, and at a given time, they would blow the trumpets. Now, if you've read into there, you know that they blow the trumpet of a ram's horn. Not a metal trumpet, not an instrument, but the ram's horn, which we know is called a shofar. And you have to know that in Scripture, when the shofar is blown, that is the enactment of prophecy. That is the shout, that is the voice of God when the shofar is blown. And so they're instructed at the time that is appointed, you blow the shofars, and then when you're told, Shout. I'm telling you folks, and I've said it before from this pulpit, and I believe that it's something that we need to get a hold of. There is something powerful in the kingdom of God when we stand up and we raise up our voices and we shout at our walls. God wants us to shout the victory. He wants us to take that power because it shakes the foundations, it rattles the enemy, and it brings walls down. And so they do the circle seven times. Seven is God's number, the the number of perfection, the seven days, and so on. And so they do the circle seven times, and at the appointed time, the priests begin to blow the shofar, and they tell the nation, shout. And so the nations began shouting just as they were instructed, and all of those massive double concrete brick walls, whatever you want to call them, came crashing down. You know the story. They shouted them down. And I'm telling you, folks, when it comes time, when that Jericho wall is right up against your nose, we have got to get it back within us as apostolic Pentecostal Christians full of the Holy Ghost that when Jericho is standing before your face, we got to get up and raise up our voices and we've got to shout it down. Shout for the victory. Shout for God's power to be done. We've got to learn to shout. We've got to get it within ourselves. Do you ever get so frustrated, you get mad at something, you never whisper to yourself something aggravates you so much you go, this really stinks. Nobody does that. When something's so meaningful to us, when something gets to us so much, when we're so aggravated or whatever the case may be, or if we're expressing joy, oh, that's awesome, yes. My son got the Holy Ghost last week. Nobody does that. But for God, we'll stand up and, Jesus, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. See, save my, no. We've got to learn to raise up our voices and shout because there's Jerichos coming at us. There's more Jerichos coming than you could possibly imagine. And it wasn't the last city. Jericho was not the last city. And because God instructed those, the nation, he said, don't have any part of it. Don't take any spoil. But they did it anyway. And you know what happened? The next city that they faced was called Ai, A-I. And they lost. They were beaten. And once again held back from the true goal. From the true goal. Because they didn't listen to God. They had the shout. The walls came down. God did what he said he was going to do. And yet they still went in and went after some of the spoils. Well, I'm here to tell you today that one of the things that is really, really vexing me and is bothering me is that once we came out of Egypt and we live, we walk into the promised land, I don't see anybody wandering. There's some people that'll wander, sure. There are. They get get in that tank, they come out. Oh, this is awesome. And, and, And shortly after, they drift away and they choose to wander. And I can't stand it and I hate the thought of it. And I go, why? What is so attractive about Jericho? What is so attractive about Jericho that we just can't hang on? Hang on just a little bit longer until God comes, until he fulfills his promise when the trumpet blows and the shout happens and we're pulled up out of here. Why can't we believe it's going to happen? I look out on Facebook sometimes and I see posts, I see the young people that have been through this church and other churches I know, and they've turned completely to Jericho. Something so nasty, something just insidious got a hold of them, and pulled them away from this. Why is that? And I hate it, and I pray against it, and and it just tears me apart. Because the story of Egypt and Jericho is simply this. You don't have to come out of that sin and that debauchery in that world to cross over into the promised land just to wander back into the city walls again. And we've got to avoid that. If we're beginning to look at Jericho, sometimes I wonder, I have to ask the question, how ugly and how nasty and putrid is the world going to have to be before we stop wanting to look like them? Or act like them, or partake in their sin? Why do we look into Jericho and say, oh, it's so attractive, I'll just try just a little bit. And pretty soon it pulls us out. Folks, it's happening in the Christian church right now. It's happening to your family members and my family members and sweet, precious, wonderful ones that have come even through this church because Jericho had the allure. And I want to put a clarion call out. I want to put a call out to the Christians in this church that want to pray, that want to be a part of coming against what's going on in that that atmosphere. The people that have left this church, that's what this is about the people that have walked away from God, not just here, but other places. Because it just got too long. It got too hard. There was so much attractiveness inside the walls of Jericho. If you can stand with me this morning, I'm gonna close. Church family, I desperately, desperately, desperately want you to come together. I wanna come together with you to begin to think about and pray about and reach out to these people. Yes, we've got ministry to do to new folks and we are gonna to continue to do that. We're gonna reach out to the people that need God. But there's just a whole slew of people who've experienced this. They've tasted it. They know God. That's what the Canaanites were. They knew God. They saw what he had done. They knew the stories and that they chose to turn to the debauchery and the evil Philippians chapter 3 and 13 says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto the things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You're standing in the house of God today. You're saved. You're a Christian. You've been in the water. You've been filled with his his spirit. And I'm imploring you, recognize what Jericho is shout the walls down don't taste it don't go after it don't indulge it don't go any further into that city because it's going to come down one way or the other the walls are going to come down one way or the other and they can either come down on top of you or you can watch from a distance as they fall but we've got to stop we got to stop we got to put the stop in right now and say this far and no further And for everyone that we know that has stepped out, love them, reach out to them. Don't forget them. Don't say, oh, they're gone. They've made their choice. There's a chance. I have a vision of these seats just full of these people that I know that have tasted this and walked out. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, our kids, our young ones, our family members, older couples, i believe it's going to happen if we if we bind together and we go after it luke chapter 20 ch- excuse me chapter 28 listen to what he writes he says likewise also is that it was in the days of lot they did eat they drank they bought they sold they planted and they builded but the same day that lot canaan lot was in canaan went out of sodom it rained fire and brimstone from heaven you know sodom and gomorrah were neighboring cities to jericho It rained brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus it shall be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Her heart was in Jericho, in in this case, Sodom and Gomorrah. Her family was there. She turned and God cursed her whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it folks lose your life give it up for god completely 100 percent today's the day now is the time this is the call today is the day to give it all up take that life and that world and that jericho and toss it out that's what he's saying i tell you in that night there shall be two men in one bed the one shall be taken and the other left Two women shall be grinding together, the one taken and the other left. Two men in the field and one shall be taken and the other left. And we know this is the message of the rapture. Folks, these people need to know. These young ones that are posting on Facebook all their stuff. I don't even want to tell you the things that I read. I have to shut some of them off because I can't I can't look at it. But they need to understand. The horns are going to blow. The shout is going to happen. The trump of God is going to sound. And it's going to happen. And God's going to pull the church out of this mess. He's going to be done finally. And the trump of God will sound. It's going to happen. And when they're standing here and they realize what they missed, there is no hope. There is no going back. There is no chance. There's no way. They're done. And it kills me. And it mortifies me. And it tears me up to think of beautiful young people that I personally know, that I prayed with, standing somewhere in stark terror and fear, going, dear God, I've missed it. I know what the story was. I know what just happened. And there's no going back. There's no hope. And I don't want that to happen to them. I don't want it to happen to you or me or my children or your children. But we got to get desperate. And we got to get so sick of Jericho that we come against it like we've never come before. And we preach it and we teach it and we reach out. We say, dear God, don't go into Jericho. Don't go after what's inside there. Because it'll destroy you when the walls come down. In Jesus' name, you're welcome to come to this altar today, and I pray God puts a burden on your soul today like never before. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, we love you today, God. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, Please telephone our ministerial team at two six two nine six five five one seven seven, or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.